Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We visit AVL to learn about some of the technologies improving Formula One cars and those in the rest of motorsport. Motorsport is a high-tech business, particularly when it comes to Formula One, and there are many companies providing specialist technology and expertise that make huge contributions that fans perhaps don't hear about enough. We're at one of those companies today, AVL in Austria, just an hour from the Red Bull Ring. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me first from AVL is Michael Retzel, Director of Motorsports of AVL. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about AVL, uh, Michael, what, about the company and, and, and what you do. Absolutely. Well, let's start with the big picture. Company was founded in the in the forties, nineteen forties. Two hundred people, engineering services only, and then our current owner, uh, Helmut List, uh, picked up at the age of uh, at the age of uh, forty forty five forty eight, and he turned it into a global business. Ten thousand people globally, more than forty affiliates. Wherever there is car industry, there is an AVL uh, tech center available. Uh, racing was always in uh, AVL's DNA, and this is why AVL Racing was uh, funded in 2012, uh, with the main focus to uh, give a better service and a quicker service to our customers. 
uh, we have the advantage that we can use 10,000 brains whilst we only in racing need a couple uh, for the purpose. But uh, all the methodologies, all the uh, the engineering capabilities uh, uh, in use and uh, are available to us. Uh, as such, we can focus on the application of racing in the five elements, which is uh, simulation, engineering, making parts, testing uh, components or entire vehicles, and actually support customers at the racetrack. And that extends to just a huge amount of teams in motorsport, Formula One, and also the automotive industry as well, very, very far-reaching. Well, yes, we span the bridge from Formula One, Wayanaska, IndyCar, German Touring Car Masters, World Rally Championship, Boat to GP, uh, Boats, Formula Nippon, uh, Super GT, so all around. Yeah, massive, uh, massive influence there. Well, we'll get into some of the, the detail of how that works in motorsport in a minute. I'll introduce my second guest, Matthias Dank, Global Business Segment Manager Racing is your, is your title. So perhaps you can tell us a little bit about how you fit in with, uh, with all of this. Yeah, bring down the fancy title to what it really means. It's uh, when it comes to motorsports, I'm uh, in charge of the global operations when it comes to uh, test the test systems and instrumentation side. So whenever something needs to be instrumented, measured or tested, that's when it falls under my responsibility. Well, let's get into a little bit of, of detail. We're going to talk about vehicle and brake testing uh, today. So in, in broad terms, if you want to outline the vehicle and brake testing services you'll offer into motorsport and Formula One, what, what does that entail? Well, let me sort of look back a bit because AVL always was uh, known as a propulsion uh, expert. This was like uh, until the last two decades. And uh, then AVL started to see uh, the engine a bit broader, becoming a powertrain, uh, adding electrification elements onto it. Understood that uh, whilst in the good old days you can could win on acceleration, that uh, deceleration becomes an issue. And uh, yeah, you always have to look at the entire vehicle, including the driver and the environmental conditions. And this is why today we speak about things that are not very well known outside of AVL, because we're a powertrain company, but we're also a vehicle company. And in terms of what that actually means for what you're, what you're doing for people, what, uh, what sort of services directly are you offering if, if a company, well, that's probably best for yeah, Matthias, if a, a Formula One team, say, comes to you, what sort of thing might they be looking for from AVL? Uh, are the different areas it, it 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 can be from a pure test system or just a sensor uh coming down to they need uh, some expertise on simulation where they buy our uh, bespoke simulation products or get some uh or get some individual problems just solved by pure simulation coming down to individual or entire engineering tasks saying I have a problem here there I need more power do you have any idea where we can do that and we can start that from an engineering service which is purely a consultancy service uh, going down the entire route to 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 start of, uh, of 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 development until to start of production where we use our in-house testing facilities and I think that's it's that's one of the things that really separates us big from a competition on the one side we have the entire expertise from and from and from 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 a global company uh with all the technologies and 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 expertise that is available uh that comes from the passenger car side and 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 large engine powertrain and vehicle uh, development but also on the other side we do our own development we do our own simulation products we do our own simulation application but we also do our own test systems which at the same time means we 
not only uh, develop and sell and, 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 and provide the test systems and the instruments, but we have a, a productive entity with our engineering division that also operates the same systems. So uh, our most challenging customer uh, for our new products sits in-house. If a Formula One customer wants to understand their engine behavior uh, for a specific race preparation, he can test the engine. But then uh, you would think, well, how does my entire powertrain work? So he can test the powertrain. Uh, how does my powertrain work uh, under different tire compound systems? Uh, well, you uh, bring a tire model into the, into the simulation uh, and you test basically the rear end of your car. Uh, then you think, uh, how do my front axis uh, work in break into the corners, uh, how do I recuperate? So all of a sudden you end up testing the entire car. So basically you have a big room with four electric diners, uh, full uh, vehicle dynamic simulation, if you wish uh, an entire dynamic cooling system or windstream simulation, and you simulate everything from uh, hot Bahrain to hopefully not so wet Silverstone uh, Or if you want to go to the extreme, uh, you connect the driver in the loop system uh, where the driver sits on the actual uh, driver simulator and activates what would be usually done by a synthetic driver, uh, the actuators down in the, in the test bed. So basically you can hook up the driver and his car uh, going forward for any race preparation you like. So it's effectively almost global simulation, isn't it? Of the whole, the whole car conditions, dynamics, driver input, the lot. Absolutely, absolutely, and it 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 makes the whole difference if there's 22 degrees outside or 28 degrees. Uh, if the tire is going to be rubbish or still new, uh, if you have uh, still 50 kilos of fuel on board or not, so the car behaves different. So we have to uh, adjust the simulation aspects of that uh, accordingly. And I guess the interesting thing is in recent years with Formula One powertrains becoming so complicated, uh, that's created an opportunity as well for expertise because it's no longer, a, I wouldn't say simple, but the, the old Formula One engines were relatively conventional and straightforward. Now they're much more complicated, uh, complicated and integrated. There's a lot more to be done. There's a lot more detail to get into there, I guess. I somewhat would disagree to that. I think they haven't become more complicated, but... And, and yeah, they have become more complicated, but uh, they have become more conventional. If you take a in, uh, look into what current road car technology is, a Formula One uh, powertrain pretty much reflects more what a current road car technology is, being it hybrid, having a battery in there, having electric motors, having a turbocharger, than what a NASCAR would be as of today. A NASCAR engine is unconventional because you don't see a V8 uh, push rod uh, driven, uh, naturally aspirated engine that just has recently gotten a fuel injection as a conventional engine and and i think this also this this it has become more complex yes but it has become far more uh if effective and efficient so uh, well how much is the power uh, the power has increased from a formula one engine dramatically and the fuel consumption has how has has reduced by 50 percent and i think this is one of the key figures that that people just try to or just don't see at the moment um, and increasing the the efficiency of the engine, yes, it has brought some 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 additional uh, complexity to it, and this also s 
brings to the table, why um, also the need for systems integration has, has risen. And also for us, being an, an engine-focused company, becoming a powertrain-focused company, now becoming a vehicle-focused company. Um, for a simple example, if you think of hybridization or electrification, that's, that's the one thing where you can regenerate energy back into your primary or secondary power source, which is the battery. Uh, that means at the same time, under braking, you want to regen as much power as possible, as much energy again uh, as possible into your propulsion system. At the same time, the power of your propulsion system is not enough for a proper deceleration. So you need the friction brake and the regen braking at the same time. So two systems, the brake and the propulsion system, which historically during a couple of decades ago have been separate entities and have been developed and tested separately, now need to work closely together. And the one uh, that has the better fun uh, or the system that works better together, has the better systems integration, has a significant performance advantage, which immediately translate over also to passenger cars. If your brake system and your propulsion system and your region braking works better together, you have better drivability which means more performance in a race car and better drivability uh, and, and a nicer product in passenger cars. And I guess this is a, a point where people talk about road rather than, so there is kind of an intersection between road, the road technology and Formula One technology and the way you analyze these things, et cetera. Is there, is there kind of a, a certain crossover there in terms of the expertise that a company like AVL brings to it or are they kind of distinct units? No, absolutely. And I think that's uh, in the in the new days it's uh, also vice versa uh, I, I remember when uh, Formula 1 announced uh, the regulations for 2014 there was a bit of a panic uh, that we could sense out of Formula 1 because everybody who was uh, major in doing uh, combustion engines had no clue about energy storage and uh, load cycles and volts and watts and kilowatts and uh, so we just walked not not even over the road, just uh, through the through the door to our colleagues from uh, from our road car business, uh, establishing uh, know how for uh, racing applications out of that group. And I think another thing that that helps us at AVL, we can use uh, the motorsports division as an incubator for our road car technology for two simple reasons, and and both of these reasons are efficiency. Uh, most of the premium motorsports leagues are fuel limited, no matter if it's Formula One being limited to uh, not refueling and 100 kilograms per hour maximum fuel flow rate, uh, or be it Formula E where you have a maximum or a limited uh, battery capacity. And this battery capacity is not enough that you can run 100% performance throughout the entire race. So efficiency is the key, which um, a couple of years back when we had naturally aspirated Formula One engines, the key was how much air do I get through the engine and then I just fill it up with, with the, the, the proper amount of fuel and then I have the maximum power. Now you have a limited uh, source of primary energy, which means the energy or the, 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 the power unit with uh, the most power at the same time is the most efficient power unit. Um, so all the methodologies and the tools that we get there to get Engines, power units, batteries, e-motors more efficient helps us, and and we can and we can we can we can implement this technology in motorsports. At the same time, helps us in our road car business. And the second part about efficiency, it's it's efficiency of about the methodology. Um, motorsports teams they don't waste money; they spend their their money very very efficiently. Uh, a little bit different compared to OEMs that build road cars, which means you have a certain budget. 
no matter where it comes to come from, if it comes from a big sponsor or if it's your if it's if it's the money that you win throughout the race, but you you are budget con- constrained, and then you have to optimize for maximum performance out of that. If you transfer that over to passenger car business, you have a desired product performance that you wish, which comes out of your product specification, and you have to manage to achieve this target with the minimum effort possible. But still, again, it's maximize your effort for a given budget or minimize the budget for for a given uh, product target. It's, again, the efficiency in there. Um, What helps us with the motorsport side is that our customers are much more approachable because they have uh, specific tasks to gain more performance. So their willingness to change is is significantly bigger um, and and their reluctance to change is, is lower because they are organizations that sit at one, two, maximum three locations. You have a couple of hundred people that can work with that. We can approach a technical director that understands what a new methodology can bring and can and, and can make this uh, decision. At the same time, we can use that as a showcase that if we propose something new and having a new test system or having a new simulation, it's doesn't achieve anything if our customers are not willing to change the way of working and being more efficient by front-loading something into a testbed. Testbed is a very complex and and not too cheap uh, installation, but at the same time, nobody would do it if it wouldn't be more efficient and cheaper to test something in a testbed than testing it on the road. Finally, you wouldn't need a testbed. I could build always the entire car and just go to a racetrack and test it there. But Obviously, going to test beds and doing these installations makes it more efficient, more effective, and I just save money by getting the same answers there or getting better answers using that. And I guess the other thing as well, you talk about efficiency there. One of the things that in common of many of the companies that work with Formula One teams or their large companies, small companies, is that a Formula One team in particular on all racing teams, they expect speed as well. And you know, you can't you can't work on a on a kind of OEM lead time. It's it's kind of they want to be able to do things that have answers fairly quickly so i guess that must mean you're a fairly fast moving reactive company a a team whatever could come to you have a solution a direction rapidly rather than spending six months thinking about it before getting anywhere definitely that 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 uh, also demands a certain pace from our side uh, and we need to be fast reacting and this is also why we have uh, the avil racing community or the avil racing branch or evil racing division within our company because we need different reactions or our customers uh, demand different reactions from us on the other side we also can demand different reactions from our customers uh if we want to propose something new and doing something new, our customers uh, are very fast moving because the risk of doing something wrong is not that big uh if you fail the biggest thing you can fail is you can fail for a season if you transfer that over to an OEM customer, if they fail introducing a new process, complete product line, they have to support the products for, for a couple of years, if not decades, providing software updates and spare parts for a new passenger car, where if you change something in your way of working, you can do it in one location as a, as, as a motorsports team, uh, and you don't need to support your last year's product. That's the big advantage. But as you said, on the other side, that also demands a complete different reactivity for us. And... Testing, I think, is a good example for that, where on the passenger car side, uh, test paid availability time is a key thing. How much testing hours you get out of a test but during a year, and 98 or 99 or 99.5% is the target we're reaching for. Um, the goal for a motorsports customer is different. Quite during some parts of the season, they don't need a test system at all because I don't have a development program. But when it all comes together and then the, 
high noon is uh, November, December, January. So I need my systems then. And if I just have to wait for an hour until the system is up and running again, that can be a, 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 a make or break point in, in their development cycle. I guess on, on some occasions, uh, reacting on things is already too late. You're the second, uh, the second winner. So what we always try is to anticipate what our customers will need coming from new regulations. Uh, also talking to uh, people like the FIA or NASCA uh, to understand what will be coming up, talking to the teams, uh, what will be the requirement, and then develop years ahead uh, the solution. Because once uh, the new regulation is out there, maybe now in October, uh, come October 1st, uh, the teams will say we need this, this, and this, and if you then start to actually develop it, uh, it's not going to happen. So basically, we we constantly think of uh, innovations, improvements, potential solutions for the future. I think 2021 regulation is a very good example. If um 2021 regulations, when 2021 regulations, or if they come out. Uh, that means by 2021, uh, we need to have new technologies on the road. So our customers will need 2020 to uh, make their new development, which means if they need new products or tools or test beds, rough delivery time or rough project time for a major installation is some 12 months, which means it's 2019 that they need to order something to have it ready for 2020 product ready for 2021 which means if we need to do our homework and need to do development that's 2018 or late 2017 for us yeah and that has been the case there are no new regulations yet defined for 2021 but still our development for what might come in 2021 has been done in 2017 and 2018 so we need to be up to a certain level quite sure still the the, the regulations are not out but it's still down to a couple of options that are still left on the table. Our development has long been finished for that. Otherwise, the industry would not have any 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 tools or products that they need in 2020 to have a new product ready for 2021. And sometimes not only regulations is the steer for innovation. It's sometimes it's pure uh, close to reality uh, testing required. One example, and we can talk about that, but because that's uh, years ago, it's uh, traditionally you would mount an engine on an engine mounting system that's a very stiff block to keep it uh, rigid and solid, but that's not what it does in a car. In a car, there's a lot of vibrations, first, second, third order, uh, heat transfers, uh, compliance of the car, of the chassis. So you want to replicate that as soon as, uh, as best as possible or anticipate it or simulate it. And this is when ABL introduced an adaptive engine mounting system just to replicate what's expected uh, for the engine in terms of uh, behavior in the car. I should probably bring in, this is the longest I've waited to introduce, I guess. We also have Scott Mitchell here, who obviously, Scott, you've been doing quite a bit of work recently with a few engine manufacturers and understanding where they're making gains, all the different technologies they're, they're bringing in. And it's interesting, obviously, you've been recently really delving into the different strands of technologies that, that these manufacturers have been, have been trying to draw on, whether it's, uh, you know, they're talking, this is going about a little bit, but the combustion technology coming in from truck technology jet engine technology honda have been talking about in terms of improving things so it's a 
you know the the areas that these come that the the manufacturers and teams are looking at and then potentially going to companies like AVL is is enormous isn't it yeah i think trying to find out what the uh what the secrets behind the manufacturer's gains in f1 is like getting blood from a stone uh they don't really they can get sort of first principles can't you of sort of what someone's done but no one's really no one's ever going to tell you how they did it because it's obviously uh it's it's so competitive but it it's one of the things that I find most interesting, and I, and I know sometimes the the, the, the technology side of uh, of racing, whether it's Formula One or, or Formula E, which are much more technology driven categories than, say, for example, touring cars. Although even touring cars is now going that way with with hybrid technology coming in in the years to come, I, I find it fascinating to to find uh, find out or to, or try to learn about what different solutions might be being implemented. So, as you said, like how people go and look at, at, at different areas. So one example being in, in, in Formula E, and I'm sure it's been the same when you've had, um, you originally had the kinetic energy recovery system in F1 and then it evolved into the more complex ERS package now. That pursuit of every joule of energy that is lost through either, whether it's a braking or now that you've got the MGUH in, in, in F1 off of uh, exhaust gases or whatever it is, you're, you're trying to find every tiny little thing that you're losing you're now trying to put back into it and that to me is an amazing technological challenge that's also relevant to the road and i think the way that in in f1 you've got different manufacturers that have got different experience in different areas so mercedes for example you've obviously got a lot of racing expertise in other series so i'm sure that they've got knowledge that they've picked up you know the traditional racing side for years and years of competition is really valuable and you've mentioned you know other manufacturers have got different engine project projects that they might dip into which i find absolutely fascinating but the thing that i think has really really kicked off and picked up in recent years and i remember when i worked in formula e uh, a couple of the teams talked about how vital this was is in, in formula e i think is a really good example because the teams turn up basically the day before the race they don't have any testing on these circuits i think they get the the simulate they get the maps for the simulators for for their driver in loop simulators 12 days before the race so they're working off really minimal data and in in that environment whatever simulation work you can do in the background must be absolutely vital so i i just find the way I, and i know i know it's maybe not as uh, I, I appreciate that there there are certain fans of racing who have images of 1970s, 1980s F1 cars that spat fire and had massive rear wheels and were sideways everywhere. But I I, I still think that the the competition and the the technology, the, the the drive to improve now has become so refined. And this is it goes back to what you said right at the very beginning when you have these companies that are involved in F1 or other series are absolutely vital to to success and, and, and progress we don't hear about them because uh obviously we only ever associate it with a, a team or, or, or a manuf- manufacturer i was wondering actually because uh one of the things that you mentioned early on michael was uh he talked about how obviously it started out we know avl predominantly as a powertrain manufacturer but it's meant a powertrain company and, and developing that side but it's all about vehicle side in in this era where everybody is pursuing those extra tiny percentages now how do you develop beyond being a powertrain specialist how do you branch out into all of these other disciplines or different parts without compromising anything how do you become an expert in every single field instead of dabbling in every single field 
The answer is relatively easy. We always have to be quicker uh, than our customers are in terms of uh, providing a solution that brings the odd horsepower or half a horsepower, etc., etc. I would say we have a bit of an advantage to work uh, along all race classes or across all race classes. So there's a, a pool of questions, a pool of solutions that may work for a world rally car, especially or it's the same way like for a Formula E car. You, you might not believe that, but that's the case, you know. Uh, I guess, especially where regulation tied down to, uh, like in Formula E, you can't, uh, you can't modify a lot uh, in terms of setup, whilst uh, Formula One is a far bigger playfield. Uh, but it's very similar to what the teams do. They look for the very little detail. They look for the very half horsepower, the hundreds of the second. And this is what we do with our methodologies and tools we provide. We always make them more graduate, more uh, granulate, more uh, more realistic in the outcome. And this is where, where it just all puzzles together. One of the things that I think... Uh I, I, I reckon uh, general motorsport fans are probably guilty of is because you have that immediate association with the manufacturer itself or the team itself, the idea is that they're doing all the work, basically. And this is what we were saying. You have lots of other companies that are involved and aren't necessarily at the, at the forefront uh, of it. So I, I think that one, one element with, with that when it comes to basically you're trying to be ahead of the game in terms of the competitors in motorsport about understanding certain technologies or understanding how you can get the most out of certain technologies which i guess for someone who's unfamiliar with a, a company or, or might not necessarily know exactly just how involved they are might be quite difficult to get their head around it and Matisse, i don't know if this is probably better directed at you but you mentioned how it's important as well for the for the customers to be responsive to what you're suggesting being open open to change some some manufacturers are better that better at that than others some cultures are better at that than others I and mean, this is obviously a very global company so how how have you found how it shifted in terms of these companies being willing to be open to working with the you know the likes of yourselves and being willing to be open to to new ideas because the success of a project or a collaboration with avl must live or die on how much they're willing to listen to you and implement what you say it, it all comes down to credibility uh Specifically, if you walk through the paddock in motorsports, you will find a lot of people who will try to approach any team and say, I will gain you that amount of horsepower or will save you that amount of lap time. Um, and then it comes down to credibility. In the meantime, AVL, during, during, during the last decades of experience that we have in the motorsports and also the size that we have as a company, uh, not only as a global company, but also the size in motorsports gives us a competitive advantage that we can try out our own things and, and bring this credibility to the table. If you have a new idea, uh, nobody will sell it off a PowerPoint presentation, not even on a simulation. So um, bringing that new ideas down to the road, we compared to 20 years ago, in the meantime, we built our own prototypes. We don't do that with, with our lead customers or better customers and don't have to convince a single customer. If we ourselves are convinced that something brings a competitive advantage, we start to do this new system, new uh, do this methodology on our own. And that not only to prove it to our market that we can use that, but also for our own business. 
good example, I think, is that full vehicle test bed. We, we just anticipated for the 2014 regulations uh, with the new ERS regulations when they came out that systems integration will be key. So, and I think the first test in 2014 was a prime example for that. Everybody was struggling to get a single testing lab out. And we just thought that this four-wheel drive testbed will be one of the, of the key performance differentiators if you have that, uh, that tool in your belt. Uh, so we built our own, we developed our own, we, we, we really fixed things our, uh, by ourselves and we invited teams to rent it out just to use it. And they saw the real performance advantage they can get by using such a testbed and invest into such a testbed. At the same time, we now have this one available. And there, uh, it's not only for the big teams, it's for everybody. Uh, and it's, it comes down to the question, uh, build or buy. If I am big enough, if I have enough um, possible performance gains because my development budget is big enough that I can afford such a test but to use it you can always afford to use it everybody can afford to use it and it comes down to Formula E teams even to small GT teams but they can't they don't have the necessity to run such a test but 40 weeks a year and in our experience also for us the difference between invest into your own facility or rent it out is somewhere between 20-25 weeks a year if you can use a tool 25 weeks a year Buy it because it's cheap to buy it. If you don't have the need to run it uh, that often, rent it. And we have a lot of smart teams that just rent it. And Formula E is a prime example. We don't have a lot of test systems in Formula E because there's not the necessity in Formula E to invest into their own test systems because how the regulations are. It's a very sequential development process and I'd rather spend my testing budget having an e-motor testbed, having a full vehicle testbed, a driver simulator, just a bearing rig and uh, a battery testbed, but I don't need all of these testbeds like an OEM or like a Formula 1 team, 25, even 40, 45, 50 weeks a year. I just needed three or four weeks a year. So I'd rather go to AVL and, and test it out there. So at the same time, bringing it down, uh, we do the R&D on our own budget. We then have something that we can showcase to customers who where we think who have the need to invest into these things. They don't tr have to trust us blindly. They try it out, see the advantages and go invest into these. And the other teams who still have an advantage by using it a couple of weeks for season preparation or if they have a new major uh, technology change, they use it once every three years. And we can rent these facilities out. And at the same time, using our own facilities, uh, we know how they run, how they operate, where the problems are, and we can improve our own products and, and, and the facilities there. It's fascinating the challenge you're facing because we always talk about teams anticipating what they need to do, what equipment they need, etc. But, you know, some of the term you've been using, uh, Matthias, about doing your own development, investing, anticipating regulations, like already anticipating what will be needed in 2021, even though the regulations are still in a state of flux. So it's 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 an amazing uh, it's an amazing position to be in. So you're not just reacting, you are having to anticipate. So you're doing some of the things that we normally associate with, with race teams. Yes, and that also comes with, with, with the engineering division. As we support race teams, as we do uh, vehicle dynamic simulation, as we do the simulation of powertrains down to the smallest component, for me as a test systems provider, I know what, what the regulations might be like. A fuel flow rate might be in between from two and the maximum gear shifting speed might be. What, what 
will that mean for the dynamometer specification for a brake test bed in 2021? I just walk over the road, ask my engineering colleagues and say, okay, I need to have lab simulations and I need to know what the brake power and brake balance might be with these regulations. And they do me the simulation and say, it will be somewhere in between from here to here. So I go in with the worst case scenario. I do my own product development. What might that be for electric motors? Do the development down there and then I have a product in the market. Understanding and anticipating the future regulation is also very, very difficult or very, very important for us in terms of how we spend our R&D budget. One example is uh, gearboxes in Formula One. We all know there was a tender that probably there's a one-make gearbox. Uh, AVL provides an input uh, drive, electric motor, to test gearboxes. So imagine the development for uh, electric motor that replicates Formula One engine behavior is a multi-million uh, euro project. So this would be for the bin in the in the second uh, when when uh, we have a one-make gearbox or standardized parts. We're not against standardized parts. It's just it's important to know and uh, shift our R&D budgets to other other constraints. But on the other side, it always sounds like uh, I think Formula One transmission rigs, gearbox rigs. It's one of the prime examples where I say, yeah, but the big teams spend multi-millions on these and nobody needs it. Yeah, they wouldn't spend it if it doesn't bring a competitive advantage. Why do they invest into a million-dollar device or a million-euro device? Because it's cheaper running an electric motor as an input motor to a gearbox, just to test the gearbox, than running a Formula One engine. Because Running 10 Formula One engines just for the, for the purpose of testing a gearbox is much more, uh, much more costly than buying a bespoke industrial device that replicates this. And this is where it comes down, uh, as I initially said, uh, what's the purpose of a test system? Um, it's, it's never as good as reality. But in a lot of aspects, it's better than reality because you can control uh, all the parameters. It's, it's a lab environment. If we go with a vehicle and take it off the racetrack and put it onto a full vehicle dyno, uh, we can control tire grip, we can control ambient uh, temperatures, we can control for ambient conditions and for whatever track conditions that we want to have. At the same time, the running, the, the running cost for a lab is significantly cheaper than compared to a race car on the real track. Just to conclude on your uh, previous question of what is AVL racing doing to become better and better and better, uh, our pressure sensors, onboard pressure sensors for Formula One, they measure pressure. It's pretty tricky to get accurate results, but accurate results gives you an indication about uh, the engine situation, so that's crucial. And uh, that all works on a piezo element uh, in a crystal. And because there were no commercial uh, crystals available with this accuracy, we started to grow our own crystals like decades ago. It takes bloody seven years to grow crystals that you can use in a pressure sensor. It's like making whiskey and sell it on after 10 years. Uh, so, And I, I'm pretty sure nobody expects a crystal farm in the heart of Graz, Austria, to go into pressure sensors. No, that's... Uh... That is that, that's what I mean. That's when 
when people overlook the the efforts and the contributions that are being made behind the scenes like you just that's the sort of thing that you know i've i can't imagine i i suspect there are loads of people even within the f1 paddock for example that wouldn't wouldn't know that we i, I just wanted to to ask about because we were talking about the that ability to be both uh proactive reactive predictive almost uh and and and, and uh, spinning spinning so many so many different plates uh with 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 f1 especially and i know i guess to f in in fe to a degree because in formula e they've been deliberately very flexible with their uh the roadmap technically they've made originally had this idea of of pushing the technology on pretty much every season and then they sort of step back and realize all oh, maybe we should uh walk before we can run but in f1 we had the originally it was uh, to to try and simplify the the current engines to attract more manufacturers. It was right, let's get rid of the MGUH, and then it's oh no, the manufacturers want to keep the MGUH. When you if a championship is faced with a sort of significant technical change like that, so for example, hypothetically F1 without an MGUH, the way that that would 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 transform the 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 significance of the engine and the different things that the manufacturers want to uh, to try and work out what the consequences would be, so um, how that would impact on drivability as well as power output, that sort of thing. How, um, if if a manufacturer is, if a manufacturer has a finalised product that they're quite happy with and they're doing their own development, if you took something away, for example, like taking off an MGUH on the current engine, how, what, what do you, what, what, what could do you offer there because presumably you're able to basically with the various tools that you've got whether it's engine side car side you can pretty much it sounds like you can simulate anything that I, i'm trying to think of a of a scenario where someone would come to you and and stump you <laughs> yeah but but that, that's one of the big differences yes uh, on the with the engineering side we can do consulting on our on our customer side but still they do their own products we provide a lot of the tools so we try uh, we're not doing engines for anybody, but we provide the tools that somebody could design the engine on it. So basically, to be concrete, if they take away the MGUH, uh, for most of the teams, as I understand, uh, it's an integral integral part of the architecture of the engine. So there's there's a structural change, but also immediately there will be the requirement: how do I get more and good air into the into the engine and mix it ideally with fuel? And this is basically a typical example where AVL would head in. We're not going to make an engine. We would be stupid, but we would uh, help to distribute uh, fuel better in the combustion chamber. The reason I try to find an an example like that that maybe people have heard of is because when we talk about being aware of regulation changes or in the case of 2021, sort of working with the information that exists at the moment and um, I, I, I guess sort of trends that you're seeing elsewhere and, and what direction it's likely to head in it must it must take a, a massive amount of focus and effort to pay attention to shifting regulations because if if you were just waiting for customers or clients or if you're waiting for teams or manufacturers to come to you and say this has changed we need to work out how to react to it that's one thing but if you're trying to stay ahead of the game how how much time do you spend focusing on these different championships because it's not like you're again going back to what you said at the beginning it's not like you're involved in one series or or one element 
so you must be, must have a, a lot of time devoted to that sort of thing. Yes, we do. That's the majority of what we call the business development. The business development is not going out to customers and trying to convince them how good we are. It's really to uh, anticipate what the market needs and then go out to the customers and say, okay, listen, this th- this is what's, on, what's currently on the table. This is what's currently on discussion. And being quite frank and open, these have been our ideas around that. Uh, that has been our engineering discipline that we took into that we came down to that specification and that's our product that fulfills that specification that would fulfill the the the, the prospect needs uh, for future regulations and this is where we gain the level of trust from our from from our customers working with the majority of the race teams and the and the manufacturers uh, and that's also part of the the key of our confidentiality is we never sell anything that we learn we might learn from somebody else we always just sell avl's ip and i think that's crucial to it and that's also the trust that that we get back from the market but as initially to your question is um, we are not we still have niche products when it comes down to uh manufacturing race cars we are jack of a lot of trades but not jack of all trades there are a lot of parts where other companies are significantly better than us so whenever we try to 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 anticipate what the regulation brings and find our own way where we drive our own innovation we start with uh where's our core ip where can we bring a competitive advantage to our customers and what's also the dna of avl where are we good at i mean uh Building mobile phones obviously is a brilliant market and a lot of people are making good money at it. That's not our core competence. So we'll never build mobile phones, just just, just to bring a very blunt example. So coming from the powertrain and coming from the engine, still when it rotates, it, it's, 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 it's very much in our comfort zone. So doing things for bearings and, and still with the propulsion system, with the battery, we, we had our own battery comp or we... we we started our own battery competence team as AVL some 15 years ago. And the part of the of the CFD code that we did for simulation, so what happens within a combustion chamber, is translatable to what happens with electrochemistry within a battery. So we transformed our products and the simulation and our competences. And this all goes hand in hand. So we have the test systems. We have the simulations part doing our own simulations code and doing our own math equations and our own and, and really our own research together with universities there, but also having the engineering competence, how, how to make the final product, the OEM product or the racing product, better so that this entire development cycle can be closed in-house i guess funny to kind of bring all this together because obviously the the difficult thing is relating to people on the outside uh, how this all works if um if me and scott came in and we i guess this is your sort of thing mike and we're saying right we're gonna have a formula one team in 2021 let's say a medium team somehow we've got a medium-sized budget not sure quite how we get that together but in, in terms of the, the the vehicle testing brakes, the the engine, what's what would be your sort of brief sales pitch in terms of what AVL would offer? Obviously, Matthias has talked about the the efficiency that the using AVL's as equipment, but in terms of that sort of performance and what AVL could do for a for a team, particularly one that hasn't got lots of history to to fall back on, should we say? Well, I guess again, what we said earlier, you would not come to us. We would have to find you in in the first place. So that's what Mia says. Uh, Matthias says is we have our eagles out there, our spotters out there. So as soon as we hear a rumor, we verify it, we build a working group, and then we uh, tailor down to to the solutions uh, that's needed. Uh, 
looking at a midfield startup Formula One uh, team, uh, that's a tricky that's a tricky pit uh, before the 2021 regulations are out there. But uh, obviously, we have different models that work in the business quite well. Teams that buy a lot of stuff from other people uh, within their regulations seems to work good. People that do everything in-house and uh, still seems to work out. So I guess uh, we we can do recommendations. Uh, we always recommend to play it low on the capital expenditure uh, to begin with to get you up to speed and then add on whatever you want to have in-house. And this would be the typical road also uh, for the new team. And I think, as always, the discussion would start with a with a simple question: Is where do you see your core core competence? As, as Michael stated, there are teams, midfield teams, that have a different approach. So, what's your core competence? But let's start with vehicle dynamic simulation. So, it's a core competence, or do you want to have a third party product? If you want to have a third party product, we have a third party product. If that's your core competence, we won't go into competition with you and won't tell you how we could do it better or not. Uh, what about the engine? Will you buy an engine? Will you make an engine? What about the transmission? Will you make your own transmission? We can provide your startup consultancy with that. We can do parts of the design for you. Do you want to do your own design? Can we help you with the design? It's always the question where you as a team define your core competence because you are under very strong competition and you will have to find your niche, how you fit in with the other teams. How much sponsorship money are you able to spend and where do you want to spend it on and where do you want to what do you want to buy? What do you want to make? We can help you in a very early stage to find out what are your options for make or buy and you make your own decision. We can we can, we can can give you our own insight along this decision process. Then you will do the decision and then we can be a partner. On some parts, we are under competition with others. Yeah, fine, go with others, but we can also supply you with that. But we can really bring you down from if you invest that much money into that technology, how much performance do we think you can gain on that? If you spend three or more million on your brakes, how much lap time do you, we think you can gain on that? So we can we can also help you um, what a lot of teams do themselves, but help you try to find the focus areas of your investment. I guess that's that's also a part of our job. We try to remind our customers that they want to win races or be best positioned after a race uh, and not being the best test bed manufacturer or whatsoever because that's technology that exists they can use uh, and Matthias used the uh, example of a, of a cell phone if I want to phone somebody I go and see if somebody has a solution for me before I try building my own cell phone so this is how we and, and if you are an F1 team with some of con the consultancy, uh, you might be able, I think you will be able to build a better bespoke test bed for your own purpose than we would do for you because we won't build a Formula 1 test bed. We will build a Formula 1 test bed that has similarities with others because we need to make a business out of it as everybody else. But you won't find a you won't be able to build a test bed up to our standards for the price that you pay us. It will be significantly more expensive if you develop your own. And one final thing on, on 2021, because that is something that a lot of F1 fans have heard a lot about and been told a lot about what the consequences of certain things will be, what to expect, what not to expect. One of the um, one of the, suggest the suggestions that came up when uh, when we were in Canada was this idea to uh, 
uh, to move uh, Park Ferme for the weekend to before Friday practice. So teams can't then throw loads of development uh, uh, development parts on the car during Friday, pick the one that works best, put it on for Saturday. There you go, crack on for the rest of the weekend. So one of the consequences of that, uh, a couple of teams have flagged up, is that it will likely shift even more focus to pre-weekend preparation work, simulation, that sort of thing. So elements like that, elements like uh, like cost caps and, and teams having to crack down on sort of what they what they build and what they do. How much do you relish the prospect of that as, as a company that specialises in finding advantages for for less or that efficiency? How much, uh, presumably, that offers a, a nice uh, opportunity for you to to flex your muscles again. Obviously, we can't comment on the future regulations because we're not supposed to know, and we don't. Uh, but I, I fully agree, you know, uh, and that's the that's the trend of uh, development. Uh, if you're not allowed to do something on the racetrack, you have to do it before, or you fail on the racetrack. And uh, I guess Ed mentioned uh, things got more complicated. I, I used to work for a Formula One engine manufacturer in the in the two thousands. And it was in the V8 times, so there was no MGOH, there was no MGOK, and we managed to blow up eight engines over Hungary race uh, weekend. So what's the complexity of that there by then? So, And that all comes down to how, how prepared are you until you can't change things anymore. Uh, three engines for the season. It would have been unbelievable 15 years ago. And this was all down to very clever engineering, but also verification processes, test beds, simulation tools, etc. And uh, fortunately, some of them from AVL. And just from Budget's perspective, the testing has become significantly cheap by, by, by a magnitude of order. It's ridiculous how cheap currently uh, one hour of engine running on a dyno is compared to 20 years ago. It's, it's really efficient and effective. And um, if, you, if you don't allow modifications during the race weekend i would just assume you have the one that has the better option of preparation and if if i am a midfield team and i say okay i I, this is one of the components i don't spend a lot of focus on i just have three components i don't need a big verification process because testing our three components for performance i can do on a race weekend i just try these three on the friday and the saturday and the best one i go into the race if that is my development focus, I would have 20 or 30 variations and I do a different process of verification. I have a partner that helps me finding out or I have my own facilities to test out which of these components is, is the better one. And to bring it down again, uh, race teams are not stupid. They spend their money where they see uh, the biggest gain in performance on. Well, it's been uh, it's been fascinating to get an idea of the breadth of uh, services AVL offers in terms of uh, uh, vehicle testing. So thanks very much, Michael Retzlan, Matthias Stang, for your insight. And thanks also, Scott Mitchell. Uh, we will hear from AVL again later in the year. So, uh, yeah, there's there's plenty of fascinating topics to really delve into. And it's just been, it's been fantastic to get an insight into the company. So thank you very much. Uh, you can check out their website at avl.com for a little bit more on AVL. And do check out autosport.com as well for the latest news, features and opinions on on Formula One and the whole world of motorsport. Check out sister titles, motorsport.com, F1 Racing Magazine out monthly, and Motorsport News out every Wednesday. And if you like this podcast, please do subscribe to it and like us on the Spreaker website. We release podcasts usually every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Auto Sport podcast.
Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.